Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn, welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen, where we are building up to our second home fixture in five days as we take on Crew on Saturday, following our less than convincing 3-1 midweek win over Fleetwood Town. So to bring us up to speed with all the latest of Crew Alexandra, we're very pleased to have the company of Tim Robinson from the Railway Men podcast. Hello Tim. Hi Chris, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, not bad, thanks for joining us. Uh, how are you keeping? Um... Apart from the football, relatively well, thank you very much. How about yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, the football's kind of... I'm on the fence at the minute about the football. We'll see how that goes out from the Sunderland point of view, but I'm looking forward to getting into it from a crew point of view. But just first, Tim, I noticed um, in your kind of Twitter bio, it says that you're a Northumbrian. Is that where you're originally from? Because you, you've got a kind of a... Liverpoolian accent twang going on there. So it, it, it's Northumbrian in, in in the wider sense, right. uh, the historic Northumbria. So ah. a, a northerner, uh, if if you want. <laughs> so yeah, the the wider north rather than the specific current county of. Right. Okay. There you go. Because I I was wondering whether that's where you were originally from, and I was wondering maybe how you got kind of uh, into into Crew Alexandra. But so I assume Crew was just your local team, and that was it. Yeah. Um, I actually grew up in in a small town, kind of in between Crewe and Stoke. They're relatively close together, and I suppose it could have been Crewe, Stoke, or Port Vale. What a choice! They were, they were all relative. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, what a choice! And yeah, it just happened that my dad took me to Crewe, uh, nineteen eighty eight, Division Four, Crewe v Bolton. And my dad wasn't really into football, and he didn't, he didn't want to take me every week. I was mad keen. I wanted to go every game from that point onwards. And I eventually found a, a neighbour, and he actually was Northumbrian. He was a he was from up the road, your your dearly beloved neighbours up in Newcastle. And he, he lived he lived across the road and he was going to crew games all the time. So I, I managed to persuade him to uh, to take me along and then that was it from that moment on. I've been going pretty much non-stop since then. So I don't know how many years that is. That would be 34 years. And um, yeah, I, I live in Liverpool now. Um, so I'm an, I'm an exile, but I, I travel to most of the home games, if not all. And um, as many of the away games as I can get to with, you know... The, the usual family commitments and and whatnot. Yeah, so you were you were brought up on Dario Grady then, and um, he he was he must have been well m- most of your life supporting crew really. Yeah, Dario took charge in eighty three, so five years before I started going, and then I never saw another manager until well certainly around I think two thousand. Steve Holland took over. 
Um, and then and then he left and Daria took charge again and then we've had a few managers since but yeah definitely the first sort of 18 years or so it was only just Daria yeah you, you just can't imagine that happening now I mean go I'm looking at my club who swap managers as much as I swap socks and it's uh, it's just ridiculous isn't it but uh, we'll never yeah, I'm, I'm sure a crew actually any club will probably never see that again will we well you say that um, <laughs> Dave Artel's been there five years and bottom of the league and obviously going down and there's still no sign of us changing so um, yeah maybe he'll be the next one yeah yeah and actually go, looking at um, ex-players and going back a bit I noticed when I was uh, just looking around that uh, Kenny Lunt is assistant manager at, at crew now because um when he was a player, he was a cracking signing on one of the old championship managers. <laughs> Midfielder, right centre, I think he was, along with Dean Ashton. But uh, when we used to yeah, read through... We've, we've, we've had a few um, on, in that game. Neil Lennon and uh, Danny Murphy and uh, Kenny <laughs> Lund. It was always worth having a look at which uh, young players crew had. That's it. Well, we'll come on to the details of kind of the ins and outs of the game in a bit. But as I said, Sunderland won 3-1 at home in Crew lost 3-1 at home in midweek to Portsmouth. Um, and we'll get into the hows and the whys um, in, in a bit. But it was, you know, just in general, a high level. It was a 23rd defeat in 36 games, I think it was. I've experienced similar seasons following Sunderland like that. It's not much fun. I mean, is, is it just a bit relentless? Because like I said, in, in years gone past when Sunderland have been in the Premier League or the Championship a few years ago, it's tough going going week in week out when it when it's like that. You start looking for the little victories, you know, uh, <laughs> scoring a goal, getting a draw, uh, decent performance, only losing by one. No, it's it, it's been tough. Like, it's been tough right from the start of the season. We started dreadfully, and then we tailed off a little bit in the middle, and now the the floor's properly fallen through, and the season's deteriorated really, really, really quickly. But it's been one of those seasons where pretty much everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. I think even the most cut-and-dried crew fan that thinks David Artel has to go would admit that there's been mitigating circumstances in terms of players leaving, players you know retiring suddenly, injuries. And, yeah, we've the, the team at the moment is primarily kids. I dare say Chris Porter, who's 38 now, aside, we've probably got the youngest team in the, in the EFL. And yeah, you know, it, it's it at the moment we're we're kind of in this cycle of we start games well and then the opposition score with their first chance and it's it's a bit of an uphill struggle. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's been a desperate desperate season. Yeah, and and I was looking back, um, just kind of the seasons leading up to this one. Obviously, you know, David Artel got crew promoted after a few seasons um, in the lower half of of League Two. You were kind of struggling in League Two, and then suddenly. Um, he got you promoted last season, finished 12th in League One. That was the season that following promotion. I mean, the, the talk of kind of second season syndrome in the Premier League, but, you know, they don't necessarily talk about it lower down the, the pyramid. But was there any sign of a season like this looking back to the summer? Or, or were crew fans pretty optimistic thinking, well, 12th last season, can we build on it? I think you've got to go back another season to the to the promotion season. We knew we had a really good team and look, that, that was the COVID curtailed points per game season and I know you were affected by Wickham having a, a PPG that was a bit better than yours at the time and you know we were top of League 2 at that point. We ended up finishing second because Swindon had a game in hand and therefore a better PPG. I'm convinced we'd have gone on to win the league that season and we, we had a cracking team full of young academy youngsters that had come through that had gone through that typical crew period of they're not ready you know, 50 games later, they are ready and they're coping. 50 games later, they're the best kids in the division. And we were at that point in the cycle where 
everything was clicking. And then that summer, so our first season going into League One, no one signed anyone. Normally in that stage of our cycle as a club, we're a selling club, two or three of our team get poached. We make a bit of money, we bring some more kids in, and the cycle continues. But no one left. So we went into League One with pretty much the same team. We, we, all, we strengthened, actually. We had, we, had a, we had a good team. And unlike all the other teams that came up with us, we were nowhere near the bottom at any point during that season. And if anything, we were looking up. I think at one stage, we were three points outside the playoffs. We ended up finishing, I think, seven points outside the playoffs. But top half, which for a promoted team, is unusually strong coming into League One. But then we had a problem because rather than just one or two kids leaving when you know they're ready to move on to the championship. We lost five or six at once. So within 12 months, we lost Perry NG to Cardiff, Harry Pickering to Blackburn. Ryan Wintle went to Cardiff as well, although he's now at, at Blackpool, as is Charlie Kirk. Um, Owen Dale also at Blackpool. Um, actually, sorry, Ryan Wintle's back at Cardiff now after a spell with Blackpool. So five or six of our strongest players left at once. So the, the warning signs were there. I think we felt a little bit reassured by the recruitment. Some strong-looking loans from Premier League clubs, some solid pros. We brought in um, a defensive midfielder from Rotherham, Sean McDonald, who we were assured was a, a you know really solid, dependable pro, and a centre-half from Aberdeen. I think they just finished third or fourth in the Scottish Premier League, and he'd played pretty much the whole season for them and was you know ex-Blackburn and Watford and had played in the Premier League. Um, Tommy Hobbin. So we we felt a little bit reassured at that point, but then things started to unravel really quickly. The centre half from Aberdeen, Hobbin and McDonald, the midfielder from Rotherham, both retired, basically without kicking a ball <laughs> after pre-season, but before the season started. So it kind of left us in a, in a bit of a state. And then we had contract wrangles with another one of our star players, Tommy Lowry, who basically didn't play for the first half of the season because he was refusing to sign a new deal because of there was a disagreement about the release clause value. I think the agent was keen for a release clause to be in there at a level that we just couldn't countenance. Um, it would effectively be the same as giving him away. So we started very, very slowly. Um, a lot of the loan signings that looked good on paper turned out to not really, really be making a difference. And that, I, I suppose, um, sort of semblance of order and, and that, that reassurance that the recruitment gave us, once that that had gone, it was clear that we were in a bit of trouble. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it started off with a run of kind of one win in the first 15 games of the season. So you're in kind of deep trouble kind of from the off. But I mean, I'm, I'm interested to know, I mean, obviously you, you, we'll talk about kind of where the, where the fans are now um, in a bit. But after those kind of first 15 games, one win in that run and you were kind of rock bottom. I mean, what was the reaction at that point on the terraces? Because I was looking at that thinking from a Sunderland point of view, I couldn't imagine you know, a manager surviving that, you know, or going on a run like that. I mean, whatever division, you know, whether it was the Championship, Premier League or, or, or what. Um, I mean, was that kind of the, the noises coming from the terraces or, you know, the, the circumstances you've you've described were people kind of, well, kind of just accepting that, yep, yeah, okay, well, issues have come up, so it's understandable. I think we're a relatively patient club and, and we're a development club. And I think that development has got to count not just for the players, but also the coaching staff and the manager. I think we're a club that believes that people have a right to make mistakes and get things wrong. And I think because of that, there was a there was an extraordinary level of patience with the team and, and the manager. Look, I think most most of us are, 
we're pretty savvy. We know where we are in the greater scheme of things. We know that our best level is, you know, a lower championship club, and that's when all the chips fall right, and you've got once in a lifetime legend like Dario Gradi in charge. In the greater run of things, we're a we're a League Two club or or maybe a League One club. So, in the circumstances we were in, where at least half of our team had left, and we were scrapping around trying to replace them, we knew that it was going to be a tough season, especially, as you say, once the season started the way it did. I think as that, that kind of run of 15 games with one win went on, there were more and more, I would say at that point, minority voices calling for the manager's head. I think as the season's progressed, that's certainly if you if you believe social media and, and, and sort of take your temperature from that, you, you would say that there's a majority calling for the manager's head now. In the ground, things haven't really turned there's been a couple of incidents. We got beaten fairly comfortably away at Accrington 4-1 a few weeks back. And I, I don't know if you've been to Accrington, but that away terrace where you've got the, the, <laughs> the tunnel right by the away end is, is not a nice place to be if you've been given a gubbin as an away manager and an away player because you have to walk right past your own fans. Um, that that was a little bit spicy. But by and large, you know, there's been boos. There's been some jeers. I would still say the majority are kind of... There's more of an apathy than an anger, I think, because there's a large proportion of the fans that, that say, yeah, the manager's not done well this season. He's made some mistakes. Some of his recruitment's been poor. Some of his tactical decisions have been baffling. But the wider issue is that we're a small and selling club that have sold a lot of good players, and the players that have come in to replace them will be good players, but they're not yet. So... You could sack the manager and spend a lot of money replacing him and he'd still have exactly the same problems or he'd go out and spend a lot of money that the club doesn't have and then that would cause longer-term problems. So I think the overriding emotion would be disappointment. There is some anger, but I think most crew fans are now kind of wishing it was August and the League 2 season was just about to start and we could, uh, <laughs> you know, we could, we could start from uh, the same position as everyone else rather than 25 points behind. Yeah, I didn't quite mean to smile through you describing your predicament there. It was more because when you were saying that, it's similar conversations Sunderland fans have had over the last three or four years about managers, you know, whether they're, is it better to carry on? Should you just kind of cut loose and start again? I mean, it's not it's not an easy an easy choice, especially because I was looking at um, the business you got done in January and I think there was, what, five or six players who came into the club. I mean, did that give people a bit more hope you could turn it around because I was looking back at the table kind of, you know, December through January and the, the gap was four or five points as opposed to the eight or nine now. So did that business give people a bit of hope? Yeah, it did. I think the main thing that gave people a bit of hope was we we signed players rather than just continually going for loan players that, you know, they come in, they might have a couple of good games. They probably... We'll be gone. You never see him again after the six months that they're there. If if they last that long, we made some permanent signings on you know eighteen month contracts, and that that's a relatively big commitment for us. And the the type of players we were signing looked like they could make a difference to our season. We we primarily been playing a three five two formation, but we didn't have any wing backs, so we were reliant on um, square pegs in round holes to fill the the wing back positions. And we went out and we signed a young wing back on the left side from Chelsea and a loan wing-back from Arsenal for the right. And they both came in and looked very, very promising. Unfortunately, within two or three games, they both picked up long-term injuries. <laughs> um, the, the other business we've done, we've, we've signed a couple of strikers, one from Holland and one from Oxford. And I believe we actually paid money for him. They've looked promising. They've, they've not really made 
huge difference. I have to say they've been they've been relatively peripheral, but I think there's with both of them there's something to work with in the sort of medium to long term. So hopefully one of them will end up being the League Two top scorer next season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the biggest deal from a Sunderland point of view that Crew did in uh, in January. I saw that uh, Callum McFadson left to join Wrexham to join up with uh, Phil Parkinson again. Um, I mean, did did he leave to get more first team football, or, or was it the cash that Wrexham seemed to be throwing around in the National League? It's a it's a strange one, Callum McFadson. We saw the reaction from the Sunderland fans when we signed him, and it and it was overwhelmingly <laughs> negative. And we kind of we were of the opinion. And I remember one lad sort of put, oh, he's the worst player we've ever had at Sunderland. And I remember thinking, well, that, that that's all well and good, but the worst player Sunderland have had is probably, uh, you know, in the in the sort of top 10 or 20 at cruise level. So he might not be actually that bad. You'd be surprised. <laughs> and then it took about three games before we realised that he was hopelessly out of his depth. Um, there was one game, I think it was MK Dons at home, where we lost 4-1. And no word of a lie, he was at fault for three of them. Um, and he just he, he just seemed incapable of getting close enough to his winger to stop the winger putting across him. Um, and it was there were two or three games around that that time, and it was like carbon copy goals that were getting scored against us from his side. And then we just never we never saw him again. So um, yeah, I, I believe he, he he probably got a pay rise going to Wrexham. I mean, their budgets smash his ours out of the water. But he wasn't anywhere near our team. We were playing we were playing centre forwards at left wing back rather than play him. So that tells you where he was in the pecking order of crew. Yeah, I, I kind of, at times I kind of felt sorry for him in a, in a sense because I was staggered that anybody thought he was a League One player and he just seemed it was almost like throwing a young lad in there who it wasn't that young <laughs> kind of realizing he was out of his depth. But uh, but yeah, I mean he he played I think in the game back in October when Sunderland were convincing 4-0 winners at, at, uh, at Gresty Road. I mean, at that time, Sunderland hit some decent form um, and we were worthy winners that, that day. I mean, should, are we kind of expecting a different crew now? I mean, with all these new signings, have they had an impact? I mean, I know you've said two of the big ones are, are out, but um, I mean, should we should we expect a different crew? Since the window closed throughout February and, and, and March, we've not really been turned over that many times, but we've normally managed to stay in games, unlike the, the home game. But we're we're rarely threatening teams. Our defence is made up of, of of two eighteen year olds and another centre half who's five foot nine. And even when we play relatively well, we're always going to concede a couple of goals. When you've got strikers, for example, like Ross Stewart, he knows exactly when to give his marker a little nudge as the ball's coming in from a corner. And I would say it's virtually guaranteed that he'll score on Saturday. And at the moment, we don't look. I'd say Tuesday, I think, was the first time our XG, not without wishing to get too heavy into the uh, the analysis side of it, our XG was above 1.5, I think, for the first time since about October. So we, we did create a little bit more on, on, on Tuesday against Portsmouth, but normally we're failing to create that many good chances. So if we concede a couple of goals, that, that's virtually curtains. It's It's extremely rare for us to take the lead. The team are still fighting. I think the team is still playing for the manager. But we are, I think the kindest way of saying it would be limited and inexperienced. So I'm going on, on Saturday, but I'm thoroughly expecting that we'll we'll get beaten. I, I'd be surprised if you give us a proper gubbin, because as I say, we're, we're generally in games and we're generally competing. We're just limited. Um, yeah. 
would I be shocked if we got anything out of the game? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I was looking back as well. This is this is actually no surprise. It's only the fifteenth meeting between the the two sides. Um, crew have won once out of those fifty. Uh, well, actually, with those those fourteen games. I remember uh, that, that game three 0 at Cresty Road. Seth Johnson. <laughs> yeah, it was back in two thousand and three. Dean Ashton and uh, Steve Jones completely took us apart. I mean, in, in terms of this weekend, though, I mean, you were talking there that you might be in a bit more positive in midweek, but that that was at home, maybe maybe kind of expected if you kind of just um, kind of going for it to, to get, get the points towards the end of the season. But, uh, I mean, does does David Artel kind of change his approach? Because I was looking, crew have lost 13 out of 18 on the road this year. I mean, is he one to say, right, well, we're going up to Sunderland on a Saturday, let's park the bus? Or at the moment, do you think there's more of an outlook to say, look, we've got nothing to lose, let's go for it? I th- I'm, I'm pretty sure, unless unless there's injuries that mean we we just don't have the numbers. I'm pretty sure we'll we'll play three at the back with wing backs. One of them will be a striker. The other one will be a central, mid, central midfielder, but you know, two decent engines. And we'll play very very similar in terms of our setup and our mentality as as, as we always do. We'll try and keep the ball. We'll try and play out from the back. I have no doubt that a couple of times you'll pinch it off us if you press us at all. Yeah, look, as I say, at, at this point of the season, you're looking for little victories. No crew fans travelling up to Sunderland expecting a win, or, or probably even a point if we're being realistic. But what we would like to see is some grit. We'd like to see some development from some of the younger players. You know, there's, there's a couple in midfield who the managers sure are going to make it at, at this level, but so far we've not seen a huge amount of evidence of that. So... You know, we'd like to see a bit of progressive passing football. We'd like to see us at least create some chances. And if we can score a goal and give us something to celebrate, that would be good. But yeah, I don't expect, to answer your actual question, I don't expect us to park the bus. Or at least not to set out to park the bus. I mean, it may be that we're so out of our depth that we end up having to park the bus, but it certainly won't be the way they'll try and set up. We've actually, interestingly, we've struggled at times playing against um, the wing-back system, against some of the sides we've been taken apart um, down the flanks. But, uh, but I, I mean, I mentioned, you know, your midweek defeat to Portsmouth uh, earlier. From what I read, it seemed like the kind of early goal set the tone in the game. But, I mean, how, how was the, the performance in the game? I mean, I, even though you got beat 3-1, you mentioned the XG. Are they going into it with a bit of positivity, thinking, well, actually, the performance wasn't that bad? Or did Portsmouth just kind of steamroll you during the week? It's a, it's a tricky one, really. I mean, as you say, they scored very, very early on. And it was a good cross, to be fair. And the centre-forward just beat his man and, and headed it in. And, and actually, all three goals were, were very close-range finishes and crosses. I think they were all headers. And they, they could have had a couple more from the, the same route. So if, you know, Patrick Roberts or someone's going to, um, you know, put in a few crosses, then Ross Stewart could have a field day. But it sounds stupid to say, if you take those goals out of the game, we, we had a lot of the ball, we moved it around quite nicely, we created some chances of our own. I would say parts of the game were a step up from what we've seen previously. But when you're, when you're at the bottom of the table and confidence is low and, Things have been going against you pretty much all season. You, you just you can't really afford to give away cheap goals and set pieces and corners because it just it, it destroys any momentum that you you built up. And certainly when they're early on in the game, you know we knew Tuesday was going to be a, a tough game against some good wily opponents. Um, so going the goal down in a couple of minutes is extremely difficult. And and you know even. Even if you say, all right, well, we survive until 20 minutes. Portsmouth, once they were two up, they kind of took their foot off the gas. They knew that 
the game was won. And part of you thinks if it had been closer, would they have stepped up another gear? And that that's a possibility. So look, there were there were positive signs, but the those positive signs are, are in a, a desert of death and desolation. <laughs> so uh they're, they're quite hard to uh to, to find really. Well the, the the more you speak, the more I think uh, Ross Stewart the score has nailed on. So I'm I'm itching to check the odds when I when we finish up here, but uh, I don't. But, um, I don't imagine you'll be getting rich off the back of it. No, no, no. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, just on that though, I mean, talking about that hope. I mean, during the week, as I said, it was you know less than convincing performance by us against Fleetwood. I mean, Fleetwood first half, you know, they they were kind of a, a team struggling for form. They they hadn't won in the last five or six, I think it was, um, and they give us a real big scare in in, in midweek, especially first half. I mean, if David Artell watches that back, he might see some things that can use to to kind of frustrate us on Saturday. You said you're all, you're travelling to the game. I mean, does part of you think, yeah, if you kind of frustrate the crowd and and do a job in that sense, you could nick a point or even kind of grab one goal and defend it? Well, I mean, it's it's a possibility. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, strange things have happened in football, but you'd have to have a serious off day, I think, to really you know, for 90 minutes, not create enough chances to put us away. I've no doubt that the three centre-halves we're playing with will be decent next year in in League 2. And I dare say that a couple of them will will play at a higher level than League 1. But the reality is that we've got one 18-year-old just turned who's got seven games under his belt, another one who's got maybe eight, and then the third centre-half's a little bit more experienced. He's played about 60 times. And then we've got win-backs who are a striker and a midfielder. And, you know... You throw into the mix on top of that the fact that we're we've lost twenty three games this season, so confidence couldn't be any lower. Mm. I think what we take out of it in the long term is going to Sunderland is a, is, a, is a great day out for us. You know, we're not going to go to Sunderland again in a long time, certainly a, a couple of years, unless we get drawn together in the cup. And it, it should be a, an enjoyable experience for the players, no matter what the result is. Um, most of them aren't going to get to play at a ground like yours for a, for a couple of years at least as well. So. I hope that inspires them, but realistically, trying to predict anything other than a, a fairly routine home win is is kind of is is virgin on the unrealistic. Well, I've followed Sunderland for for well over thirty years, and um, it's always these games that make us more jittery than, <laughs> than the others. So, um, so yeah. Um, I mean, what one player I wanted to mention actually, I saw that Michael Mandarin was in the goals again this season. He, his second top scorer with six this season, but uh, he picked up a knee injury at the beginning of the last month. Um, I think from what I've read around the lines, he's he's missing still on Saturday. Um, but how was he doing before the injury? Because um, I mean, obviously, second top scorer, and he's been injured for the last month. Last season, he was. He, he was I mean, he was probably my player of the year. He was. He was excellent. At his best, he's the, he's a, he's a target man and line leader of the caliber that we rarely get a crew. This season, he's he's struggled. I think he's been carrying a knock. Obviously, he's, he's out now with a more serious knock, and he's basically been starved of service for for a lot of the season. You know, he's 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 come from having played a system with Charlie Kirk and Harry Pickering on one side and Owen Dale and Perry NG on the other side, you know, feeding him tappings and and now he's kind of, you know, getting balls lumped up to him and having to scrap. And the the other thing is for a long period of the season he's been asked to play wing back. So, you know, when you're asking an out and out number nine to play wing back, you know that your um your, your squad's a little stretched. But he's he's still been one of our better players when he's been fit. I dare say he's one of the ones that 
when we do inevitably go down, and he is out of contract at the end of the season, I dare say he's one that will get picked up by a club at this level because he is um, he's an asset to a team that's on the front foot. He holds up the ball up well. His link-up play is pretty good. He's relatively mobile. I mean, he's not the quickest, but he gets around. You know, he gets into the channels. Um, he competes, and although finishing isn't, I would say, an out-and-out strength, he does he does get his fair share of goals as well when the when the chances are being created. So he he will be an asset for someone in League One next season, I think. But I don't think he'll be with us. Mm. Yeah, I noticed he was stolen over a new contract. I mean, usually the Usually something like an injury makes people put pen to paper, but I wasn't sure whether he had yet or not. So I assume that's still rambling on. I'm pretty sure he's had a contract in front of him and, you know, we've been shoving the pen under his nose pretty much all season, but um, he, he hasn't signed it and I, I dare say he won't now. I, I think there'll be enough suitors for him at early one level, willing to pay him twice what we could. But, um I think it's 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 fairly inevitable that he'll move on. Yeah, as we said, he's going to miss out this weekend. But uh, is there anyone we should be wary of this weekend going forward? I mean, is there anyone worth sticking a quid on to, to nick a goal for Crew? The most likely scorer is probably Chris Long. He's probably been our most consistent forward player in the second half of the season. He leaves it all out on the pitch. He's he's a quick lad. His finishing's good. He's a bit greedy at times, but I don't mind that in the striker. I would say he's undeniably our most likely scorer. If you want one at a price, I'd give you Conor O'Riordan, 18-year-old centre-half, has come through the academy. He goes forward for set pieces, he's a big lad, he'll get his head on stuff. And he's not scored for the club yet, but he hit the bar from a set piece on Tuesday against Portsmouth. And I dare say you get somewhere around 50-1 to for him. So uh, (laughs) sooner or later he's going to pop up with a goal, let's hope it's on Saturday, eh? Yeah. (laughs) Well, on the back of uh, one win in eleven. I mean, you've said, you know, everything, confidence is about as low as it's been. But, um, I mean, do you still hold any hope of staying up this season or you've already your mind already in the next season? Already already into the next season. Uh, I suspect we'll be the first team relegated, in certainly in England, this season. Looking at the fixture list, we've got you coming up as well. It's, it's difficult to see where the next point, never mind the next win, is going to come from. Um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely looking at League 2. I think most screw fans now are looking at the team and thinking, well, you're not going to be here. You're not going to be here. Okay, you are. You're penciled in at right back and, and sort of trying to work out what next season's team will look like. It's not been all doom and gloom. There has been some, albeit minor, positive signs. And I think one of them has been, for me anyway, I, I can kind of see sort of seven or eight of next year's starting lineup and, you know, sunny August day in uh, League Two against Barrow or someone. I think on Saturday we'll be we'll be looking for, you know, just some signs that people are ready to keep the place and, you know, next season we start with a clean sheet and a, a fresh slate and um, hopefully that's enough to help people sort of get over this horrendous season that we've had this year. Uh, and I assume you're, you're fully expecting David Artel to, to be the man to try and get you back up next year? It's it's difficult to know. We we changed owners a year and a half ago. We got a new chairman, Charles Grant. With the old lot, I think they'd have had pretty much endless patience and I'd say definitely Dave Artell will be in charge. I think with the with the new guys, it's it's difficult to be as sure, but I kind of think once you've got to this stage, you know, we're, we're down now. There's no way we're coming back from this. There's almost no point changing it. it if you were going to do it January the 1st, when you've still got half a season and a transfer window to go for, I could kind of almost see the, the logic in doing it. I don't I don't really know. For all his faults, Dave Artel's got a proven track record of bringing academy kids into the first team, 
developing them and then forming a team that can get promoted out of League Two. So I think he's probably the man for next season, despite the fact that this season has been horrendous. Yeah. Well, you said you're making the the trip up to Sunderland this weekend. Um, I mean, I assume you've been up before. Is there going to be a good following from crew? Are you not alone and looking for a good day out? Put it this way, I think there was a group of sort of 10 or 12 of us that were going to games at the start of the season. And uh, last night we were down to two. Um, Right. (laughs) And on the WhatsApp group, I haven't had an answer yet when I put a question who's coming on Saturday. So, um, yeah, look, we, we'll we'll take a few. There'll be a few going. I think there's a there's a group that are going for a weekend uh, um, and there'll be a, a load more like me who are just in the knowledge that they won't get to go to a ground like Sunderland for a few years, going to uh, for a day out. But if we'd have gone last season, we'd have, we'd have probably took 12 or 1,500. I, I dare say it'll be, you know, 300 tops with the way the season's gone on Saturday. You'd be, be up in the gods behind the goal. So I hope uh, hope you enjoy your visit and hopefully it's a good game. Uh, yeah, on that note, I just want to say thank you very much, Tim. I really enjoyed the chance to catch up and all the best for the battle against the drop or, or next season getting back. Cheers, Chris. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, may the best team lose on Saturday. <laughs> Cheers, Tim. Thanks. Um, you got me worried now, all of this talk about low confidence, <laughs> but uh, we'll see how it goes. Thanks again, Tim. And uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, keep a look out at the Rock Report for all the build up ahead of the game against Crew on Saturday and keep an eye out on all the usual places for the next podcast. That should be dropping very soon after the game. But from us, it's bye for now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.